All right, Matthew 5, we're still there. You're like, man, I can't believe we're still in Matthew 5. There's a lot of good stuff in here, so hang on. Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. Now, I was going to do 21 through 30, all of it together, but once I started reading it and really going through 21 through 26, I just felt like we needed to stay in 21 through 26 because it's got a lot of really good stuff in there. So, anyway, two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' message to his disciples explaining that he did not come to abolish God's law right but to fulfill it. Do we remember anything from two weeks ago? It's been a long time, okay? I don't remember. I had to look back on that myself. But from two weeks ago, do we remember uh, what Jesus called the his believers to have a deeper version of than the Pharisees? Righteousness, right? So we talked about this relationship between believers and God and how they call to be to have to have this better relationship than the um, than the Pharisees has was a call that was based on um, having a deeper God-centered, right, selfless. It might be the fourth one. Deep God-centered, selfless, genuine. Genuine, deep, God-centered, selfless relationship um, with, with, with God himself. That's this righteousness thing. So I have a question before we get started tonight. Has anyone ever accused you of having an anger issue? Raise anybody in here ever been said, you know, you got an attitude problem. you got an anger problem. Man, not good. Nobody? <laughs> couple of us. There's a couple, there's a couple of us who are at least admitting it. <laughs> Riley's over here just dying laughing like she knows. Okay, so it's okay if you maybe maybe you've had to admit that to yourself. Okay, I don't know that I've ever had anybody like say, man, you got anger issues, except for certain aspects of my life. Like ask Brooke when I used to watch Kentucky basketball if I had an anger issue. Okay, it was bad. I almost hurt her one time because I slammed my hand out my next to her and she was scared of me. During these incidents, like that's how bad it would get. Okay. Oh, I, it was there. I trust me. Okay. Like nine years ago at this point. So. Yeah. This was. Yeah, I don't know that I was ever that level. Okay. But I, I, there was levels to it. All right. So, but the thing is, what what I, what I think verses twenty one through twenty six teaches us is that we all have a problem with anger, and so that's the that's the. Um, title for this message in Matthew 5, 21 through 26, the title that I came up with is The Problem with Anger. Okay, The Problem with Anger. Because I feel like anger is one of those things that we act as if it's not a big deal. Right? And I'm not talking, there's, there's a difference between righteous and unrighteous anger. I'm not going to get really deeply into that because I think the anger that we think about when we think of being angry most of the time is unrighteous anger. Right? It's a, it's a selfish anger. Right? It's a, a hate-filled anger. Um, if you look around in the world right now, you see a lot of unrighteous, hateful, selfish anger that's happening across our whole entire country and across the world. So a couple of weeks ago, we saw how Jesus talked about this deeper relationship. And he talked about the fact that you know, he came as an extension of God and not in opposition to God. And so what Jesus is going to do in, this, in, in the rest of chapter 5 is he's going to explain to us and show us what it truly means to have that genuine, deeper righteousness. What it looks like to truly have that deeper, greater relationship with God. And what that looks like in the life of a believer. Now, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if any of you have ever thought this before. But 
25, 21 through the end of the chapter is stuff that I really like to read, but I don't ever really have not, for a long time I thought, well, that's a really nice thought, right? But it's not doable. Right? That's a really nice thought, but he can't be really calling me to this. Because it's so extreme sometimes that you think that it's, it's not something that I could possibly pursue. I mean, we're going to talk about anger being on the same level as murder. You know, we're going to talk about um, taking oaths, and you should never take an oath, but your yes should be yes, and your no should be no. An eye for an eye, right? Loving your enemies, things that don't make any sense to our human minds, especially our middle school and high school minds, right? Things that just don't make any sense is what Jesus is calling us to because guess what? If you're not living by the Spirit, you don't understand these things because they don't make sense to the flesh. What the world says makes sense, right? What the world says to do does not line up with what we're about to read. That's what makes it so good. <laughs> That's what makes it so different and so appealing to me is that it's the complete opposite of what the world has called us to, what the world says that we should be. So I'm going to be honest, this is going to be tough stuff. Right? It's not going to be the easiest thing to comprehend. It's not going to be the easiest thing to apply, but it's something that's important. It's something that's, that's vital to our, our walk with Jesus. This is, this is His sermon, right? This is his, the beginning of His ministry, and there's a reason that He called us to these things. And so the first thing that Jesus speaks on when referring to this deeper righteousness, is one that I think that we usually give ourselves a pass on, right? Has anybody ever gone and read the the uh, the law, like read the Ten Commandments, and, and gone through and kind of thought to yourself, have I followed any of these? I've done that, especially when I was little, but I mean, even, even middle school and high school age, you know, you go through and you're like, you know, have no other gods before me. Ooh, I watched a lot of TV this week. I don't know, I don't know if I got that one, you know? Honor your father and mother. I wasn't really honoring my mom and dad this week when they told me to uh, clean my room and I didn't do it, right? Or they told me not to go out with this friend and I went anyway. But one thing that we can always do, right, is we can get to the one that says, you shall not murder. And I'm like, check. Right? I ain't killed nobody, right? So, like, you, you get to that point in, in the Ten Commandments and you think, man, I may be like 0 for 6 so far, but now I'm 1 for 7, right? The average is going up because I've, I've hit the mark on not murdering anybody. Like, that's good of me, right? Hey, Bryson, you know, you didn't murder this week. And we laugh and we joke about that, but I think what is amazing about what Jesus says here is he says, listen, don't think too highly of yourself, right? I'm going to show you what it truly means, what God truly meant with this law, what God truly wants to instill in you, what you what you have the ability to do now that I've come and, and, and lived this perfectly, we're going to get into this deeper relationship, this one that's greater than the Pharisee. I'm going to tell you what, what the Pharisee said was wrong, but what I say is right. And so that's what we're going to read about here in 21 through 26. So it says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, throughout the rest of this chapter, we're going to see a lot of this, you have heard that it was said, versus I say. Now, it's a, it's a big deal, right? Because what Jesus is saying by the fact that he's saying, but I say to you, is he's what? He's, he's given himself, he's shown his authority. And what I mean by that, he's not saying as most prophets would, like, now God says this. He's saying, I say to you. Right? He's saying, I have authority to tell you 
what this means, what the law truly says. I have that authority. So we need to remember when Jesus is speaking in his sermon, he's speaking as someone who has authority to tell you, right, what you should and should not do. So he's not, he's not, he's not working around this. This is truly what Jesus has to say. This is, this is about his authority as God himself. So he says, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka. Now, Raka, I don't know if your version has that word in it or not. Does anybody have anything different than Raka? Mine says if you call someone an idiot. An idiot, right? Okay, anybody else? Got, that's a good, I like that version when it, when it gets real practical like that. That's the NLT. Anybody else got anything different? You good for nothing. You good for nothing. Right? These are all, because Raka, right? That, I, can, I understand idiot a lot better than I understand Raka, okay? What Raka meant was empty-headed, right? So basically, you're calling somebody stupid, an idiot, all right? So that's what that means. So anyone who says to a brother or sister, you idiot, Raka, empty-head, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And they remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. You may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for all you do for us. We're thankful for this time that we get to have together. Lord, I pray that you just lead us and guide us and, and allow us to truly invest in what you're calling us to here. Allow this not just to be words that we read on a page, but something that we want to instill within our hearts, Lord. Something that we allow you to change us into. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Alright. So the first point that I want to make tonight is that the first problem with anger is anger intensifies. Anger intensifies, okay? So, Jesus opens up by saying, I know you all have heard that murder is wrong. Now, I want to go ahead and establish this before we keep going. He's not lying, right? He's not saying that, that the fact that that was said in the Old Testament, he's not saying that that was wrong, okay? He's not saying, I heard you have said that, you know, I heard that somebody told you murder was wrong, and I'm going to go against that. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, at one time, right, in the law, I heard them say murder was wrong. This was the truth. If you go to Exodus, you will see, you shall not murder, written in the Ten Commandments. And we already know that Jesus and God speak in the same terms, right? So we talked about that a couple weeks ago. So Jesus is not saying that this is not true, but, what he is, but he isn't saying that what they have been told is false. But what he does is he points them to a deeper standard. Okay, a deeper standard that truly following God and His, his design for us would look like. And so he goes beyond the physical to get to the what? To the heart. He goes beyond the physical to get to the heart. So he says, listen, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I don't know about you, but I've been angry before. I've been angry with, like, relationally with brothers and sisters. I've been angry with brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? I've had this anger well up inside of me before. And now we've got to be careful because anger is something that, that, that comes out before we can even really stop it sometimes, right? It just, it just wells up in us. And so I don't want you to think that every time you feel a hint of anger, 
right? And all of a sudden you're doomed forever. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am saying is when we let ourselves hold on to anger, that's when it becomes a problem. Because anger, when held on to, doesn't diminish on its own, but it intensifies. You can see when he's talking here, you go, he goes from being angry to calling somebody an idiot to saying you fool. Which you fool was, was a strong worded term, which basically means you don't matter. When he says, you fool, he says, you know, I, I, this person is beyond consideration. This person doesn't even matter to me anymore. So there's this, this process that takes place from anger to, to ugly language coming from your lips to, to complete and utter contempt and hatred for somebody in your heart. Now, I'm thinking of examples of this in my mind, you know, and I think about driving. Now, not, all, not everybody drives in here. Some of you just started driving, and you'll learn this very quickly. There are people out there who cannot drive. Okay, don't look at each other. You know, I see, I see it going on. We already, know, we already know those people, right? But there's people who can't drive. And sometimes some people are going to cut you off. Now, anybody ever been in a car with their mom or dad when somebody cuts them off? Ooh. There's very few times that I've seen my dad angry, but I've seen him angry before a long time ago when somebody cut him off. I felt that way before. And what happens is the first thing that happens is he cuts me off. He got in the way of my will, right? That's what anger is. It's the reaction to somebody getting in the way of your will. Like what you want to do, they get in the way of it. So all of a sudden, I'm angry. Now, I can pray to God and ask him to, to, to let that anger go. Or what can I do? I can tailgate that, uh, that, yeah, that guy, right? I can get right on his tail, right? You did to me, now I'm going to do to you. And I'm on his tail, I'm on his tail, and all of a sudden I find a way and I pass around him and I shout something out the window and I go on. And what has happened to me is I've gone from letting, I'm letting anger become something that is not only taken over my heart, but come out of my mouth. Right? I've allowed it to kind of intensify to a point where it comes out as, as a physical reaction. And so the Pharisees, they said, as long as you don't take some, you know, some, some scissors and stab somebody with them, then that's fine. You can be as mad as you want to. Right? You can be as angry as you want to, but Jesus is saying, listen, if you have complete content for somebody, if you think that somebody's worthless in your mind and in your heart, they might, you might as well have killed them. Right? If that person is worthless to you within your heart, that's, that's a deep issue just as the murdering is. That makes sense? I'm not saying that murder is, is on the same level as that in terms of like punishment, right? I'm not saying that you're going to go to jail for being angry at somebody. But what I'm saying is that when Jesus looks at you, he says, because of what I've done, we should look at anger not as something to be taken lightly, but as something to be taken serious because I, I care about your heart. I care about your soul. We are more than a physical people. We are a spiritual people. And so if you hate somebody's somebody's being, right? That's a, that's a, that's a serious issue. That's, that's anger that's been intensified. So he says, listen, if you allow that anger to stir up in you, you're going to get to the point where you may not physically harm somebody, but you've mentally harmed them. You've, you've spiritually harmed them. You've, you, you've harmed them in your very soul. And he says, listen, in, in my view and in my eyes, that's, that's, that's not good either, right? That's not acceptable. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had, had, had convinced people and themselves that there was this line that they could toe. As long as they stayed on just on this side, right, just on this side of what the law said, 
then everything was okay. But Jesus is saying, you, you shouldn't toe the line, but you should flee it. Right? If that's what sin is, I should want to go in that direction. But the Pharisees said, as long as I toe that line, I can hate as many people as I want. But as long as I don't physically harm them, then there's no problem. But in reality, a heart that is full of anger and hatred and, 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 and selfish contempt is a heart that, that murders. Right? It's, it may not be physical, but mentally and spiritually, that heart believes that the other person is worthless. And if you believe that somebody is worthless, you're diminishing what Jesus did on the cross. Do we get that? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If I were to ask people to raise their hand and say, who thinks that Jesus died for everyone? I would hope and pray that all of you would raise your hand. But if you have hatred and contempt for someone in your heart, and you think of them as worthless, you are saying that that person wasn't worth Jesus dying for. Do we get that? Do we understand why what's in your heart is important? Because you are, you are a visual representation of Jesus. Right? You are to be a person who knows what Jesus did for you. And if you look at someone and say, you're not even worth living. If that's your attitude towards someone, you're saying that Jesus couldn't have died for that person. Right? They're not worth living. We live in a world where people look at each other with complete and utter contempt and utter hatred. And, and, and if you don't think the same way that I do politically, and if you don't think the same way that I do um, in, in school or in this job, or if you don't get on with what I want you to do, or if you don't look like I do, then you might as well just be out of my life. Well, you are diminishing in your, in your heart what Jesus did on the cross. And so why is, that, why, is, why is this important? Because anger intensifies, and it can get you to a really deep and dark place. Unquenched anger quickly turns into hateful speech. And whether you believe it or not, your words matter. I know that you guys are in middle school and high school. And boy, you talk about who can be mean and nasty and, and just awful to each other are middle school and high schoolers. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say this, and don't get mad at me, but I tell you the ones that are the worst are the girls. I heard some girls talk about some other girls in middle school and high school, and I was just thankful I wasn't a girl. Okay, because I'm telling you, it almost would have been... It almost would have been a lighter punishment for them just to do something to them physically. At least they could have fought back. Right? Because they just there's this intensity of this hatred and this speech. And we have to realize that we're not built. We're built to build each other up. And especially the people in here. Right? If you know someone else is a Christian and you're talking about them like that, that's not building up the body of Christ. That's, that's breaking it down. So Jesus says it's important. What's in here, right? The Pharisees say, as long as you outwardly look a certain way, then that's fine. But Jesus says, I want to fix the heart to where what comes out of you is a, is a representation of what I've done in you. Think about social media. The anger you feel so quickly becomes the things you say, and before you know it, someone's life doesn't matter to you because they don't agree with you. That's why I've gotten rid of mine. Because it's, it's so easy to, to see somebody say something and to hear somebody say something. All of a sudden, they don't matter to you anymore. Well, then guess what? They matter to Jesus. And if you're going to be a representation of Jesus on this earth, you have to be a representation of him to everyone. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. It is no coincidence 
that the first thing on that list is anger. Anger may not be the end result of our sin, but it's often the first taste. Anger so often is the beginning of a deeper issue, a deeper sin. It intensifies. Think of Cain and Abel. Cain's first thought wasn't, I'm going to kill my brother. What was it? I can't believe he gave a better gift than me. And that became, you know, ugly language. And that became contempt. And eventually he killed his brother. It intensifies. And I'm not saying you may get to that point. But we, we aren't a physical people in a physical world. We are a spiritual people. And a spirit of anger progresses quickly. So, that's the first thing is we need to realize the reason that, that Jesus takes this so serious is because the first problem with anger is anger intensifies. Secondly, anger disrupts. Okay? Anger disrupts. And, and, and um, what we're going to see are two examples that Jesus talks about, right, of, of how important it is to understand the importance of anger. So I'm going to reread uh, verses 23 and 24. It says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So there's this man that brings a gift to the altar. Now, in this time, in this day and age, this would have been a normal part of their religious duties, right? It would have been like worship. Right, so what are some things that we do to worship? Sing. Sing? Did you say sing? Okay, sing. Other things. Pray. Pray. We did something this morning. Take communion. Right, there's these things that, in, that we, we know that we do in order to worship God. Right, it, it's part of our worship life. For, for these people, part of their worship life was giving gifts at the altar. It was part of what they did. It's part of what they were taught as they grew up. This would have been an important aspect of their walk with God. So do we get that, right? If, when you hear altar, right, if you hear giving gift at an altar, my mind just goes to taking communion or, or to singing worship songs. How many of you have ever tried to worship while angry? And what I mean by that is you've gone to church, you come on Sunday night, you just have this big fight with your mom or dad. Or you just had this big fight with a friend, right? Or you just had, you just had this blowout with some, somebody, you know, that you know that's close to your brother or sister. And then you try to come in here and we start singing and you try to worship. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I have, right? And, and there, there's this underlying issue that's taking place in you where you can't think of anything else, right? But that, that issue you have with somebody. I think about it as almost like a conscience thing. When I was in fourth grade, I'm going to tell myself, okay? I do that a lot because I have a lot of really good stories of things I've done wrong. When I was in fourth grade, I had two friends come with me from Indiana down to Georgia to just hang out for a week. Right? It was really cool. We didn't live here yet or whatever. But my aunt and uncle had this, it was a Ranger. Does everybody know what a Ranger is? It's kind of like a bigger ATV vehicle or whatnot. And I couldn't drive. I was in fourth grade, obviously. But you kind of felt like, you know, you felt like a grown man when you were driving that thing. You know, I can do what I want. You know, I'm driving around the land. they got a lot of land there. Hill that was that was going downhill. That you, it was like a ramp, and my mom and dad had already said, "Don't hit that. You know, don't do that." I'm gonna do it, right? That's just the way it is. Okay, so we start going down this hill. We're probably going 45, 50 miles an hour. I mean, we're booking. We hit that ramp and, and, and jump it over the road and land, and whoo! And my friend hits his face and breaks his glasses, and he's cut up on his face. 
And immediately, I don't think of him. I'm thinking, I'm in so much trouble. You know, like, that's just where my mind goes, right? Because who, who, he'll be fine, okay? I'm in trouble. And so we go back and talk to my mom and dad, and they're like, what happened? And I was like, you know, I was, we had our story straight. Okay, I told them this is what happened. <laughs> so I get back and say, I don't know, we were just driving in this, in, in this field, and we hit a bump, and he just went forward. I guess he wasn't holding on tight enough. And that was, that was it. They bought it. I'm like, I'm in the clear. You know, it's over with. This, this conflict is it's, it's over. And I'm not kidding you. Six months later, I was laying in bed one night, and I could not go to sleep. I'm tossing and turning, and all I can think about is that lie I told my parents. Now, you may think that's kind of, you know, you got away with it. I, I didn't. Internally, I did not get away with it. And this isn't the first time that's happened. I tried to, you know, I'd be thinking about it while I was trying to eat. I'd be thinking about it whenever I was at school. I'd be thinking about it when I was trying to sleep. And there's just gnawing in your mind until you finally go. And I had to get up in the middle of the night one night and go just tell my parents, like, this is what really happened six months ago in Georgia. And I got in trouble, you know, but not as much as I thought I would. And, uh, but I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but there's this gnawing, like, thing that you can't let go of. And you can't think of anything else but that conflict. Well, that happens when we have conflict with each other. There's been times where Brooke and I have, I mean, we don't fight much, but uh, there's been times where I know that we haven't been on the same page about something. And I can't stand it. She, you can ask her, I'd be like, are you sure you're okay? Are you sure you're okay? Like, I will not let it go until we finally have this conversation where we just talk about the, the, whatever it is that we're not okay with. Right? There's this, there's this gnawing thing that happens in your life. And who am here to tell you what Jesus is saying in verses 23 and 24? is like, you cannot worship me the way you ought to when you have problems and anger and, 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 this, and this conflict with, with the people around you. Like, I care about the relationships that you are in. I care about the way you feel towards other people because it disrupts your worship for me. And so I'm here to tell you, you cannot be in constant conflict with the people around you and worship God the way you ought to. That's why Jesus cares about the heart. Because he says these Pharisees, they're in constant anger and hatred towards each other. And they try to come and bring these gifts and these offerings. That means nothing to me, right, if their heart's not in the right place. So in the same way that I felt that way, we must recognize that our anger with other people distracts us from worshiping God wholeheartedly. The idea of worship is it represents me loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how can I worship fully with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength when I have a heart and a mind and a soul that is focused on my issues with someone else? It's impossible for me to worship God fully when my heart is angered towards another person. Part of my worship is out of a thankfulness to Jesus for giving me the ability to have a restored relationship with God. How can I worship and give thanks for that restored relationship without leading me to restore my relationship with the people around me? 2 Corinthians 5, 16-19 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself. That means He gave us the chance to have a relationship with Him again. Right? He, 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 he gave us a chance to be together again with Him. He reconciled us to Himself through Christ. 
And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And what that means is as the church, as believers, he has made part of our ministry and our worship to show people that two people who, who have been disconnected can be reconnected through Jesus. And so what that means, right, is the people in this room, the people that you know that love Jesus, part of our ministry, part of, our, part of the way that we live out the message of Jesus is by loving each other. Is by not allowing little arguments and little things to get in the way of us representing Jesus in our daily lives. That means if you've got somebody that you know of right now that you're having an issue with who also loves Jesus, you need to go. Right? You need to go and talk to that person. Why? Because that relationship between you and that person is important to the message of Jesus Christ. It's important to your worship of Jesus. You can try and, 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 and claim all you want that it does not get in the way, but Jesus says it does. Jesus says, I care about your relationships. And anger disrupts from your worship for me. Where our heart is in terms of relationships with other Christians represents where our heart is oftentimes in terms of our relationship with Jesus. John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. So it's not you should or you can, you must. You must love one another. So another, another problem with anger is anger disrupts from worship. And finally, ending it all is anger distracts from our mission. Okay? Anger distracts from our miss, mission. So lastly, Jesus shows us this, this um, relationship between a man and his adversary. Who can tell me what an adversary is? Opponent, right? Or enemy, right? So now Jesus is going beyond. He's going beyond the realm of, of fellow believers. And he's saying, listen, you know what else is important? How you deal with people who you would consider, consider your enemy. How you deal with people who you consider your opponent. Isn't that crazy? The only, the only thing that, that's ever taught that you need to be on the same page as your enemy is the Bible. The only thing that ever says that you should pursue to have a better relationship with your adversaries is the Bible. Why? Because the Bible calls us to be different. Right? The Bible calls us to be different. When I think of this, I kind of think of uh, the movie. Anybody got any Marvel fans? I know that Giles is. There's been, you know, like a bajillion movies, and there's going to be a bajillion more. Because every time they come out with one, everybody goes and sees it, and it makes a lot of money. So why not, right? But what, the one that I'm thinking of is Captain America Civil War. So in Captain America Civil War, what's happened is the Avengers, somebody's come in and said, listen, this is what you need to do. You guys are now going to be under the control of the United Nations. So what that means is somebody's going to be able to tell them where they go and when they go and how they go. And there's two people who, who come to the forefront of this argument within the Avengers. Iron Man, who's really cool, right? We got any Iron Man fans in here? It's pretty cool. I'm not a big Tony Stark fan. He's a little too arrogant for me, but Iron Man's cool. Then you got Captain America, who's like your old school, like, you know, lame. You know, he's that one movie, he calls somebody out for cussing, you know, like he's your old school guy, right? So you got Captain America and you got Iron Man. 
And there's this anger that takes place within them, right? Because Iron Man says, yes, we need to be under the control of the United Nations. We need to be kept in check. And you got um, Captain America who says, no, we don't need to, right? What if they tell us we can't go somewhere? What if they tell us we can't do something? What if they don't send us where we need to go? I know this is going to be, this seems like a long example. I'm getting to the point. Within the movie, what happens is, is Iron Man decides, I'm going to get all these superheroes, and they're going to be on my side. And Captain America says, I'm going to get all these superheroes on my side. And the biggest battle scene is between the two groups of superheroes. And so what has Iron Man and Captain America and these, and these superheroes allowed to happen is they've allowed anger to distract from their mission. Their whole entire mission was what? To, to get rid of the enemy and to help people. And what, if, what does anger allow them to do within their own, their own group? It split them in two, and they've decided now that instead of fighting who the real enemy is, right, instead of doing the mission that they've really been called to, they're going to fight against each other. Anger does that in the church. Anger does that in our lives. Anger disrupts and distracts from our mission. What is the mission that Jesus has given to you and me? Does anybody know what's the great commission? Anybody, anybody quote that? Give you a gold star. The last command that Jesus gave. It is. Gold star. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? And then it goes on from there. And goes on to, but what he's called us to is to go and make disciples. And I think what Jesus is trying to show us in 25 through 25 and 26, is part of our job here on going and making disciples, right, is to be at peace with people, to show them a different side that they don't see in other areas of life. And, and your anger and your hatred towards people distracts from the mission of making disciples. Because not even within the church, right, are we supposed to be different, but out in the world we're supposed to be different. Not only in the way that we interact with each other, but in the way that I interact with somebody else. You know what's going to make a big impact the next time somebody cuts you off? You roll down your window and say, my, my bad, even if it wasn't your fault. What? That was his fault, right? He cut me off. What Does Jesus say whether you're right or wrong right here? He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. He says, that guy's taking you to court and you need to be the one to try to settle the dispute. What? He's suing me, and I'm going to be the one to try to settle it. I'm going to be the one to try to, to come and, and be the peacemaker. Jesus doesn't say whether you're right or wrong. Jesus doesn't say whether you're the good guy or the bad guy. What he says is you need to be the peacemaker. Your heart needs to be in a place in which your anger and your, and your hatred for people gets out of the way, and you can truly follow the mission of making disciples. Romans 12, 18, as, as far as it is possible and depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's hard. There's a lot of people, and a lot of them don't make me very happy. Right? A lot of them don't make me very happy. What Jesus calls you to be is the one that's different. He calls the believers in Him to be the ones that pursue peace. Why is that? Why should I be the one to pursue peace? Why should I be the one to pray for healing for my anger? Why should I be the one to take the high road? Because if the Christians 
If the Christians are unwilling to be those people, then nobody will be. Jesus was willing to be that person. Jesus was the one on the cross who said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Right? Jesus is the example of coming to Peter, someone who denied him completely, and restoring that relationship. Look at Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were in prison in Acts, and the prison doors flew wide open. And the Roman guard was about to kill himself because he knew how much trouble he was in. And what did Paul and Silas do? Did they say, go ahead and do it? No. They said, don't harm yourself. We're all here. You know what happened that night? Paul and Silas went to the Roman guard's house and his whole family was saved. You know why? Because they did not let anger distract from their mission. Would it be okay for them to be angry? Sure, we would think so, right? These people had put them in prison, kept them in there all night. But they knew that their mission for Jesus was greater than their physical needs, their physical feelings, their own emotions. And so what I'll tell you is don't let your anger towards other people, don't let the things that, that, that get in here affect the way that you live out your life for Jesus. He says, why is, why is your heart important to me? Why do I say that, that your mentality and your heart and your spirit are important to me? Because those are the things that are really important. Those are the things that are going to be the difference between somebody knowing Jesus and somebody who doesn't. It's going to be the difference between somebody who has new life or for someone who continues to live in death. The church must be the initiators of peace. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Selfish anger, hatred towards others, looking at someone else, anyone else is unworthy of consideration or life itself, disrupts the mission that Jesus has given to us. We can't let anger get in the way of preaching to others about Jesus. Jesus united his followers and his persecutors. I mean, think about Think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was once Saul who killed Christians, who sent them to prisons, who gathered them all up. <clears throat> and Jesus got a hold of his heart. And he ended up going back to Jerusalem. And he said, listen, Jesus has called me to follow him. What do you think, what do you think those disciples thought, the ones who had been with Jesus? Can we trust this guy? You know, He's known around the land for his brutality towards Christians. But Jesus united adversaries because, they, because he simply changed them physically. No, he changed them spiritually. He changed their heart. And so I want to leave us with that. That's the problem with anger is anger intensifies. It distracts and it disrupts. We can't let anger be something that, that controls our lives, but we can let Jesus be something that controls our anger. We can let Jesus be the one who, who demolishes our anger so that people can look at us and say, man, I threw everything I could. I, could, I threw everything I could at her, right? She just would not get angry. I threw everything I could at her, but there's something about her where the joy just can't be taken away. When the world sees that, they're going to want a taste of that. They get enough anger and hatred out there. Let's not let it seep into here. The Pharisees didn't, didn't get that, right? They towed that line. I say, let's run from it. Let's run away from anger to joy and peace and love and gentleness, self-control. Let's, let, let's pursue Jesus in a way in which we can't help but, but 
exude all the things that he's, he, he's, he's lived his life for us to have. That, he, that he's given us his spirit for us to, 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 to show other people, right? I don't want to be like everybody else. We shouldn't want to be like everybody else. We shouldn't fit into the narrative of what the world says we are. We should be different. We should stand out. And one way we stand out is by allowing Jesus to, to negate our anger. What is there really to be angry about? We have a Savior who loves us. He died on the cross for our sins. We have a God who sent His only Son. We have a heaven that waits for us so that we can glorify Jesus forever. If you really think about it, there's nothing to be angry about. We should just want to pursue other people so they can get on this road with us and we can see them again in heaven. Right? That's, 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 that's what we want. We want them to experience how good Jesus is. 